The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. today because I'm really excited about our guest. As I said in a Facebook post this morning, if you know, you know, and if you don't, I'm excited for you to be here for our wonderful guest. The fabulous Millie Quinones Dunlap is going to be with us in just a little while. She's one of my favorite people on the face of the planet. I have known her for far too many years than either of us is going to admit to, Uh, but she is an amazing artist, gifted performer, a wonderful teacher, and someone who has really made forays into the land of pain. And she's going to explain to you why that's a topic that she wants to talk about and how we deal with pain and uh, overcome it. Uh, So I'm very excited to talk, but she's also one of the funniest people I know on the planet and somebody who always manages to lift my mood when she's around. So I'm so excited to share her with you. Uh, But before that, we've got a lot of things we got to get to. And by the way, can I just say uh, that for the, those of you who watch us on BronxNet TV, I, I've got a hometown girl here for you today. So that'll be really exciting for all of you. Good morning, Nasser. Saying good morning to those of you who are, are tuning into us live. We are live right now on many platforms. Uh, and they're reminding me that my fan is on. I must turn my fan off. Sorry, forgot, Draven. Thank you. Uh, in any case, I'm, I'm, I'm in that portion of the program, you know. Uh, the the postmenopausal thing and it gets warm so fan fan was on excusez-moi uh, but we are live right now on YouTube on Facebook on Twitter and we are live on our homepage autism-live.com we're also live on about ten to twelve other sites at the moment and uh, we love having all of you that want to watch us live we encourage you to participate you can write in right now on Facebook on YouTube on Twitter. And it will show up here on my screen. It's a little bit longer for me to get it when you write in on the chat on autism-live.com. We really like to reserve that for folks that are watching us pre, uh, you know, as a podcast. And by the way, we are a podcast. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide, thanks to all of you. We thank you for downloading us wherever you get your podcasts. We are a free download on all of those places. We also... Uh, love to hear from you if you're, and again, if you write into us on autism-live.com, that's a great way if you're watching us recorded for us to be able to get your comments and your questions. We love when you guys interact and write in with us. I especially love to hear where you're watching from because I'm geographically challenged and it makes me happy to know that people are watching us around the world. All right. Uh, I like to remind you at the start of the show, we got some business to take care of jargon of the day and uh, yes, Traven's reminding you, don't forget to like, share, comment, uh, whatever whatever flips your switch, because we appreciate that. And subscribe wherever you get your podcast. subscribe to us. Okay, we do like to start the show by reminding you that we have tons of experts, have a great expert on the show today, but please remember that I am not one of the experts. Uh, my deal here is that I am a very proud mom of a young man who is now 18 years old and about to start college. He was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. Did I think that my world was coming to an end at that point? And did I feel that he was going to have nothing but challenges before him the rest of his life? Yes. Uh, I thought all of that, but we got good quality, wonderful 
quality ABA, which I'm a big fan of if it's good quality. We got the right amount, which is intense, intense, intense. And I always talk about that here. But we also got a bunch of other things too. We got him healthy. We did all the things that we needed to do. And we got lucky on top of that. And my son just graduated from a college prep high school with honors. How nice is that? So I have a responsibility to pay that forward to all of you to be here to help connect you to experts. I like to remind you, though, that that does not make me an expert in autism by any stretch of the imagination. Am I somebody who cares, who wants to wrap my arms around you, bring you into the fold, and help you to get to what you need? Absolutely. That is my role here. And by the way, when I'm saying you, I want to be very clear that this show, our mission is to provide information and inspiration And that is to that larger autism community. That starts with individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart of our community. They're our big why. But it also includes everyone who loves those individuals. If you are on the spectrum or you love someone on the spectrum or you want to know more about that, we welcome you to be a part of this show and to share your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, ask those questions, do what you need to do. All right. I'm just giving a shout out to Maynell and Nasser and Brooke. Brooke says, um, your nephew recommended your page to me after my son was diagnosed. So thankful for you and for your expertise. I'm watching from Illinois. I want to want, I want to know which nephew I have many nephews and I love them all. So tell me which, Brooke, tell me which one. Uh, But I'm glad that you're here because here we talk about possibilities. We're not talking about disability here. We're talking about this ability Um, and moving everyone. There are are ways that autism can be a disability, um, but there are ways that we can move that from dis to this. This ability, that's what we're about here. All right. I'm so thrilled that you guys are here with us. So let's uh, get started with the things we got to get to before we can get to Millie because she's amazing. Um, Sheila, I love that you're here. Sheila says, my 18-year-old is autistic. How can I help him more with speech and behavior? And Sheila, I, I welcome you. We have so many videos that we've done. This show officially Uh, It was a week ago, Friday, this show has been on in some form or another for an entire decade. Stop. 10 years. I know. Uh, And you can see that my hair has gone from brown to white. 10 years, right? Um, So I encourage you to look through the videos that we do. I can give you a short answer that there is so much hope and support that's out there for you. But since I don't know where exactly you are, I don't want to mislead you and say this is available here Um, You could write back and tell me what part of the world that you're in, and then that will help me to hone in on that. Um, We still recommend things like ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, for 18-year-olds, but we also sometimes, depending on if anxiety is a part of it, sometimes we recommend uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. But at the heart of it, we want to take what the person loves and expand on it at 18 and help them. And it could be listen, it's a spectrum, right? So at 18, what they love might be Thomas the Tank Engine. There's no shame, no foul in that, right? But we can take that and expand that into a love of trains and put our lessons around trains, right? I've had many people write in and say that their 21-year-old learned how to tell time by watching a train schedule and seeing when the trains come in. We take that and build from that, right? But at 18, we also want to give them what our good friend Joanne Laura always used to say, which was a seat at the table, a way to work um, and to make money and to feel the pride in doing all of that. So right in, um, oh, you're in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. There's a lot of supports in that. And he loves Harry Potter. Stop! Uh, you know, my, my husband's day job, I'm not supposed to say, but my husband works in the wizarding world of Harry Potter at Universal Hollywood, um, may or may not be a wizard. Uh, so very familiar with that. There's so many lessons you can teach with Harry Potter. And I think if you get him either some good quality ABA, if the anxiety piece is there, talk about cognitive behavioral therapy as well for an 18 year old. Um, but ABA will take that love of Harry Potter 
and teach him all the things that he needs to know to be safe, productive, working, happy, and knowing that he's okay and help him to be as independent as he possibly can. Okay. Um, but right in, uh, I'm saying hi to Feeney. Yes, we got to get on with the jargon of the day here. We do like to start every Monday with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani, are those experts talking about? And what does this have to do with us? How can it save us time and money is really the bottom line for me. Because I don't know about all of you, but when we started on this path, it was like the jargon would come in. It was like being hit by a bus every time a new jargon word would come in. And I felt frustrated and angry. Why do I have to learn all these new things that I have to learn and an entire new language when people could just explain things? But, you know, here's the thing about jargon. Jargon is meant to save time but you only save time if you know and understand what the terms are. So what we do here at Autism Live, we give you one word, one phrase, one acronym. First, we give you the actual definition. Then I make fun of the actual definition because it's useless otherwise. Then I give you a watered down version, which makes the experts break out into hives. That's just a plus. And then we try to meet somewhere in the middle so you have a beginning understanding of what the term means and how it might save you time money and help you to get to progress because that's the name of the game, right? So let's take a look at what today's jargon term is. I don't even have any idea what today's term is. What is it, Draven? It is a mystery. We have no jargon of the day. I don't even, oh, it's generalization. That's hilarious. So generalization uh, is one of those terms that kind of kicks us in the keister, right? Because you look at that and you, you go, I know what a generalization is, right? When people make a sweeping generalization about something, I know what that is. Yeah, that's where you get tripped up because generalization in the world of autism means something different than when you make a generalization. So let's take a look at what the actual definition for generalization is, shall we? And I'll put on my best elevator voice. The occurrence of relevant behavior under different non-training conditions, i.e. across subject settings, people, behaviors, and or time without the scheduling of the same events in those conditions. Sounds like we're back to the train schedules, right? This definition is useless to me. I know what all of these words mean, but gobbledygook. How would this help me? If I talk told you right now that to success, you would be like, huh, what, where? The occurrence of relevant behavior under different non What? You just get lost down the well, right? So let's tear this up and throw it out in the circular file where it belongs. And let's really get down to brass tacks here, because guess what? This is the secret to success. By the way, not just for individuals who are on the autism spectrum, Anytime you're learning anything, so for all you teachers out there, this is the thing you're always trying to get your students to, always, on the spectrum, not on the spectrum. Let's take a look at what our working definition of generalization is and see if it's any better than the other one. Generalization is being able to apply what has been learned in new ways or situations that were never taught. All right, that makes a little bit more sense. But what does this really mean to us? The example I always use when talking about generalization is when my mother taught me how to drive a car. Because my mother wanted me to know how to drive a car anywhere in the world, on any road ever. Could she possibly have taught me how to drive on every single road, in every single circumstance, in every kind of weather, and in every kind of car? No way. So she was trying to teach me enough of the basics so that I could get to generalization, so that I could drive any car on any road, literally in the world. And so whenever we're teaching anything, we always want to think ahead of time, where do I really want to end up? And where I want to end up is generalization so that the person not only learns this skill, but can do it in a bunch of ways that I never taught it to them. We do this with toilet training. We, and this is the hallmark of good teaching, but it's absolutely the hallmark of ABA, is that if you think about when you're teaching someone how to toilet, I would hope that you're thinking, 
I want them to be able to go to the bathroom in any bathroom. That includes when we're at a camp and it's a hole in the ground. That includes when we're in Chicago O'Hare Airport and that machine comes out and lines the toilet with with paper uh, before you sit on it. It includes being able to do it at Grandma Betty's house. It includes being able to do it in a Target bathroom. And this is a mistake that a lot of people make in ABA. And this is a hallmark of bad ABAs. They don't plan for generalization. If you're doing generalization and teaching it correctly, you plan from the beginning before you start the lesson so that you know the steps that you want to get till the person can say, I think they've got this all on their own. So uh, for toileting, for instance, we start out and maybe we just pick one bathroom that we're going to do potty boot camp with. And we're learning how to go to the bathroom in that bathroom. But if you're doing good ABA, you know that the minute the child is able to do it in one bathroom, we got to go to another toilet. And we have to take it out and do it at Target and at Walmart and Trader Joe's and all these places. And we say to our, our friend Latrice, can we come over and do this in your bathroom, right? Um, because otherwise we get that circumstance that a lot of you write in and say, oh, my 15 year old is toilet, totally toileted at home, but we have accidents at school or we went on vacation and he held it the entire time. That's just horrible. And, and so if we are really mindful at the beginning and plan for generalization, we don't have those problems happen. Generalization is when we go, woo, they got it on their own. And we didn't even have to teach that. Almost everything we teach, we hope to get to generalization. Think about it. You're teaching the color red and you want to teach red. And we start with one shade of red and we start with it just a flat two-dimensional red. Then we teach red three-dimensional and then we start teaching shades of red, right? That this is a brick red and this is more of an orange red, right? But we want to get to the point where we no longer have to teach and the student understands red in a very global way. That's generalization. We all want to get there. If you want to know if your ABA provider is great, really good ABA provider, and you want a really quick litmus test, they talk to you about a lesson that they want to teach to your kiddo, and you say, what's our plan for generalization? If they flinch and go, uh, and start flipping through papers, this is not your provider. Fire them. My advice, right? They should be able to go, oh, you know what our plan for generalization is? Once we get this, then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and that's how we're going to get to generalization. And then you know you've got somebody who knows what they're doing. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, generalization, it's a good thing. Let's move on uh, to our question of the day for you guys. Our question is, what's your favorite part of the day? What's the part of the day that you really love? Please write in and tell us right now. Uh, I love that Maynell has said quality is so important. Unfortunately, we didn't find quality. I hate that, Maynell. I think that's true for a lot of people. Keep looking. It's out there. I see that it was my nephew, Brian, that told Brooke. Oh, I just love my nephew, Brian. Um, he is 68 kinds of wonderful. Uh, okay. And uh, so write in and tell us what your favorite part of the day is. But we're going to move on to our topic of the week because I want to get Millie in here. Our topic for this week, our overreaching topic is, is your heart open? And what is your heart? See, that's just going to make me cry already. Is your heart open? And what is your heart open to? I think those of you who have watched the show before and watched a couple of weeks ago, um, we had a doctor on who was talking about all of our feelings and COVID and how we cope with that. And his book is uh, The Open Heart, right? And I had said to him how important it was to me because I really feel like that's how this show came to be. Many years ago, I was sitting in my living room and was feeling very at sea, not knowing what to do next or where to go next. And I turned on my TV because I love to turn on my TV. And there was Oprah talking to Keith Urban, who I did not know from anything at that point. Um, but they started having a discussion about, is your heart open? That this is something Nicole Kidman had asked of Keith Urban. And uh, my, my, you know, I love Oprah. She is my fairy godmother. Whenever I need something, Oprah is always right there with it, right? And she said, you know, what your heart is open to is everything. Because you can say you want something, but if your heart is not 100% open to it, you'll be like running on to a wall forever. 
And if that's happening to you, you have to stop and ask, what is what is what part of my heart is not open to this? And maybe change what you're saying. Because I had been saying, I want to go back to work in a big way. I want a big job where I can make a difference. And I felt very like that was a hundred percent, right? My heart was a hundred percent open to that, except it wasn't because it was a little part of my heart that was saying, I don't want to have a job that takes over my being able, being able to be at my son's school, being able to volunteer, being able to say, I have an IEP meeting, being there for my kid. And in my heart, I believed that a big job where I could have a big mission was going to disrupt that. And once Oprah said that, I said, okay, maybe I change what I said. I'm looking for a big job where I can make a big difference, where I can feel like I'm on mission, but that it doesn't take away from my kiddo. And 15 minutes later, Dr. Doreen Grampiche called me and asked me if I wanted to host this show. Not kidding. Not kidding. That's how it happened. What's your heart open to? Is it open 100%? If you're running up against a wall, Oprah says, look at that. And I believe Oprah, because uh, Oprah's my fairy godmother. So what is your heart open to? And what do you think your heart is open to that you need to like take a good look at it? Uh, which is going to work really well with our guest today because, oh, talk about an open heart. Uh, really an amazing person. So uh, I, I have known Millie Quinones Dunlap for a really long time. We'll get into how I first met her a little bit later on. But she is a New York State certified teacher slash librarian, and she's been that for over 20 years. So that in and of itself makes her a unique and special person. Uh, she is also someone who coached her high school slam poetry team, and for a very good reason, because she is a writer and a spoken word performer herself of the highest caliber. She performs and puts me out on the floor. She's a brilliant artist. But um, she's here today, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but she's here today to talk with us about chronic pain, about how that came to be in her life and the circumstances around which she was able to change the conversation. I want you to know, though, for those of you who are watching on BronxNet, that Millie is also working on her memoir that is titled Through the Eyes of a Bronx Girl. So in the house, Millie Quinones Dunlap. Um, I, how are you? I just adore you. You know that. Oh, I am so good. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. I, um, this is a thing. I'm so excited. It's our first time having you on the show. I'm ridiculously happy. I know. And I love your question. Is your heart open? I love that. It's, it, it goes to so many different places. Right. Um, and something we could talk endlessly about, but uh, I got to start by talking about pain because you are also a chronic pain support group leader. Uh, tell us, Millie, what does that mean? What, 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 and how did you become that? Okay. Um, I went to a training for, uh, to become a chronic pain support group leader for the U.S. Pain Foundation, Pain Connects. A woman named Gwen Herman started this foundation um, after she was injured and hurt and had to deal with pain and, and couldn't work at her regular job. Um, and so I originally started going as a support group member. And then within a couple of months, a training opportunity came up and um, I took it. And now I have um, my own chronic pain support group through the US Pain Foundation, Pain Connects, and it's called The Writing Room. So people who are in pain come through Zoom and we meet monthly, every month, and we write about our pain and what's going on and how it makes us feel. Can I just say how proud I am of you and how proud I am to know you because you're just a remarkable woman all the way around, but um, you have been in pain for a while. This has been a part of your story and it's been a hard part of your story from what I have heard from you. And the fact that you have turned a corner with this and now found something that helps you and are helping other people. It just speaks to who you are, Millie. It's just remarkable. Talk us through a little bit about uh, how, whatever you're comfortable with, don't tell anything you're not comfortable with, but how did you come to be someone who was, who, who suffers from chronic pain? Um, it happened in 2005. I was at work. I'm a, as Shannon said, I'm a uh, teacher librarian 
and I was in the cafeteria and a fight broke out early in the morning. So um, I got hurt behind that. The students were fighting and pushing and, and I got caught in the, the rustle and bustle would go by like that. And I hurt my back. So I herniated some of the discs in my back. And so I've been in struggling with this since 2005. I've had 11 back surgeries. Um, my most recent one this past May. So even though it happened 16 years ago, it's still very active in my life. And at one point, I really didn't see a purpose for living. It got really bad. Um, I couldn't work anymore and I couldn't find my purpose. I couldn't figure out why I'm here. I felt like a burden because my family, my husband and my son were taking care of me. And um, I was not accepting the fact that I had a disability. I was not accepting the fact that I am not the person who I was before. So if I can't be that person, who am I gonna be? Who am I? I had no idea. And I was very angry. And when you're angry and you focus on all the things that are going wrong, and that's what I was doing. I focused on everything that was wrong instead of figuring out who I'm gonna be now. I just wasn't there emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I wasn't there yet. So it definitely has been a journey for me. And one of the big things for me, I was on high levels of medication. I was on um, opioids that made me really drowsy and a totally different person. And, you know, I'm not saying this is for everybody because everybody has an individual choice, but I made the decision to step away from that medication. And I'm so glad I did because it was, it when I was taking that medication, it gave me hyperalgesia, which means like my whole body used to hurt. Clothes on my body used to hurt. And, and it was hard for me to figure out where the back pain exactly was because it was all over my body. So once, and it was, it was a scary thing to do. And I just kind of did it without telling anybody, without telling my doctors or my husband or anybody. I was just one day done. Like, I don't care how much I'm going to hurt after this. I can't be afraid of it. I just got to follow it through and figure out where we go from here. And that worked for me. I'm not saying everybody should do that. I'm speaking for myself. It worked for me. And um, from there, I took some time. I, I heard you talking about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. I did that. I did one-on-one co -on -one cognitive behavioral therapy with, with the therapist, and I was in therapy for 10 years. Um, co cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain. And then I also did dialectical behavioral therapy just to try to get a hand, like to try to figure out, A, a very simple thing, how to breathe. I did not know how to breathe. I couldn't breathe because there was so much that had happened in my life before that never allowed me the opportunity to breathe. You know, I'm from New York City. We're from the Bronx. We don't have time to breathe. We just got to keep it moving. And when the world made me stop, that's when I realized like, I was always on the go. So I didn't have to focus on the things that were going on in my life. And when the world made me stop and sit down somewhere and just think for a hot second, I had to really figure out, like, break through some of this stuff that was going on in my heart. Is your heart open? My heart was not open at that time. But it feels like your heart is open now. We were talking right before we came on air and you said that a while ago you and I were having a conversation and I was, I was trying to dish up some mindfulness to you, which I shared with you. you know, I talk about mindfulness all the time. You know why? Because I'm trying to get mindful. It is not something that is my strong suit, but apparently I was dishing up some mindfulness to you and you, you thought I was crazy. Is that? It's, I was like, Shannon, because when you would, the things, first of all, for you, I don't know what time, it was like two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> and um, you were trying to, you were trying to help me listen to my body. And you were saying when there's parts of your body, okay, I'm doing it. Millie, when there's parts of your body that hurt, like your stomach, you have to think about why. I was like, what are you talking about? Well, that was probably right after I got my Louise Hay book, uh, you know, <laughs> about how to heal yourself. I love the Louise Hay book. And I was like, oh, there's a mind-body connection. So I'm sure I was really uh, up, up about talking about it. But man, am I, I'm a student in the front row seat because I need to learn this. I think a lot of us need to learn this. But until you're ready, it sounds like gobbledygook, yeah? Yes. Um, you know what helped me a lot, too? The app Calm.com. The uh, meditation app helps me. I use it all the time. It helps me a lot. 
Okay, so you have to tell me, do you do you do any of the sleep stories? Yes. Um what's your favorite? Gratitude is my oh, okay. sleep story. I am all about the McConaughey. The McConaughey well, I haven't tapped into him yet. Oh, oh, well, let me just tell you, there that like there are a bunch of us who just call it the McConaughey factor. That poor man, I'm never gonna be able to see him in a movie again because whenever he speaks, I'm I mean it's just <laughs> I have insomnia and he puts me, he just says, well, good evening. I'm Matthew McConaughey and I am out. It is hilarious. I am out. I, and I have insomnia. So the McConaughey factor, well, I, I'm going to have to do the gratitude one and see what that, what that does for me. I love the calm app too. They are not sponsors. I just want to be clear about that. We're not touting anything that we're getting money for, but it's, it's pretty fabulous. Uh, okay, so talk to us about when you're using writing as a method of dealing with pain. Because I think some people go, okay, what what's that? Is that mumbo jumbo? How can writing help you to deal with pain? Okay, so there's something that happens in our brains chemically. When you write, it releases endorphins into your brain, it, the, into your central nervous system that calms you. So what I like to do is and when I'm working with uh, people, I have them write. Write for 20 minutes, uninterrupted. And I try to do that every day, like first thing in the morning, because it really does clear your brain. Set a timer, and if you can't do 20, do 10. If you can't do 10, do five. You gotta start somewhere to go somewhere. So I set a timer, and I just write, and you tap into your subconscious, and your subconscious is gonna tell you how you're feeling and what you're worried about. So I get up in the morning, I try. I don't do it every day. I get up in the morning, I set my timer, and I just write. And all the little things. Um, what did you used to call it, Shannon? The, the, the yabba yabba? The yabba yabba. Yeah. Yabba yabba. See, yabba yabba is still in my life. All those little things, those voices that are inside of your head, that yabba yabba. She taught me that when I was, I think, 20? I think 20 years old. Um, all those things that are going on in your head. I got to do this. I got to do that. Where are my keys? I got to pay this bill. Pay that bill. How am I feeling today? You put it all down on paper. This way you're getting all your thoughts out there, all the worries, everything out there before you even start your day. Every time I make sure I do that, I have a good day because I feel like I am a step ahead of, of what's going on for me. I've already planned. I know how I feel. Um, and there's other types of exercises that you can do. You can write stories. You can write recipes, uh, which I love when people take their life story and make it a recipe. You can write memoir. You can just journal in your in your notebook, journal for however many minutes you can, but it definitely releases endorphins, especially for people who have chronic pain. Once you have, you know, you, you, they tell you that story, like when you put your hand over the fire, like a, a, a little kid puts their hand over the fire, they feel the heat and they move it away. People with chronic pain, you put your hand over the fire, you know, it hurts, but you can't take that, take that hand away. So you are so, um, you know, how would that make you feel? It makes you feel angry, upset, like I can't move it and it hurts. That's how people in chronic pain feel because it taps, it, it once you're in pain for that long, it moves from, um, uh, I forgot the word, um, from, from being, oh shoot, okay. Is this it the flight or, uh, flight or flight? Yes. Or flight? yes, it puts you into that fight or flight. So cortisol, it all streams into your system because you are so like, oh my God, it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. That's when the mindfulness comes into play. That's when you just, like, I try to just lightly tell myself, okay, I'm in pain right now. Um, what do I need to do for myself to get to a comfortable space? My pain is never going away. I'm going to be in pain in my lower back, my butt, my legs, spasm for the rest of my life. Um, and that I know. So because I know that, now I have to figure out pacing, how to pace my life. What If I'm going to be going out today, I'm going to need to be able to sit and stand and lay down somewhere. So I have to plan extra. And that's what I do. And the right, going back to the writing, sorry. So the, the writing helps with that fight or flight. It calms it down. So when I'm feeling stressed and tense and I can't figure out why, I just take out my notebook and I write. Amazing. You know, and 
I can't believe how many of these things kind of go hand in hand with what we talk about in the autism community, because what you, this space where you're talking about accepting that you're going to be in pain, but then kind of looking at the broader picture, we talk about exactly that same thing. Something that's very popular in the autism world is something called acceptance commitment therapy, which is exactly what you're talking about. It says, we're not going to poo poo it. We're not going to say, you know, try to distract yourself, try to, get over it, suck it up. Like none of that stuff works. That's just a steaming pile of poo, uh, right. right? Like, you know, if you're having trouble because you're in pain or because your child is in pain or your child can't speak, like you can't just suck that up. It's impossible. But what we can do is look at it and go, okay, that's true. But there's also all these other things that are true and how can we make the most of what we have and that's, I think that's how we all get from this space of anger and grief and fear where it all get gums up into being in a more productive place. It doesn't make it perfect, but it makes it better. Um, so Millie, if people want to participate and know more about this, either in your support group or another pain support group, where can we send them to? Um, go to painconnection.org. And when you go to painconnection.org, there are national groups that you can sign up for and they're on zoom um there are specialized groups and there are um state groups so you can figure out which one you would like to sign up for the support groups are awesome um and they really helped me early and on. for and, and i meant i know you mentioned that yours is on zoom is that just because of covid or do we feel like those are going to stay on zoom I'm not sure. I don't. Uh, I I really am following what U.S. Pain Connection is doing, and I don't want to speak for them because mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they're going to go back into um, um, the one-on-one -on -one spaces where everybody gets together. I'm not sure. I think right now with COVID is what brought everybody to Zoom, and then they realized, wow, we can really uh, access a lot of people via Zoom. Yeah. So I don't know if the special, if the um, state groups will go back into buildings or not. Well, I'm going to suggest that for our, our, our people that are watching, if you're in pain, get in one of these groups right now, um, because I've seen that one of the best things that has come of, of our current plight is that so many more people have had access to these kinds of things. Um, and I'm just going to guess that if you're somebody who's in pain, first finding the group and then transporting your body to it and having to sit in a chair while doing it is that much harder. So take advantage of it right now um, that you can do it on, on Zoom and perhaps be a part of Millie's group or somebody else's group because there are other ways of dealing with it besides writing. Is that correct, Millie? Oh, yes. Um, and as you say there, I just thought also, there's also, a, uh, it's it's chronic pain and or illness. Um, and um, there's also a chronic pain, there's, excuse me, there's a support group for caretakers as well. Oh, so, well, I mean, I think that's something, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of caretakers on live yes. right now that would benefit from just, just, just that day to day, you know, to see somebody else is going through what you're going through. It, it helps regardless of what the background is of the situation. When and is there a cost? Is there a cost for participating? No. Okay, no. so tell us where we would go again to find our support groups. Uh, painconnection.org. Painconnection.org. Okay, I want to give a shout out um, to a couple of people who have tuned in. Jeremy Aldrich, how much do we love Jeremy? Uh, and, and Kristen Weinstein. Uh, so it's, it's so fun to have both of you here watching oh, yeah. this. Uh, we, we love, uh, both of you as well. And thank you for sending in your love for both of us. Uh, you know, if, if you're, if it seems like Millie and I have known each other for a long time, that would be because it's true. Uh, Millie mentioned me, uh, teaching her about the Yabba Yabba when she was 20. Shall we tell them about when we first met Millie? Yes. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> Uh, so the first time I met you, uh, I, I went back to, uh, after having graduated from my alma mater, 10 years later with my master's degree under my arm, I came back to teach at my alma mater, which was the scariest thing I think I will ever do in my entire life. Uh, cause if think about it, I, you know, it was 10 years having graduated and then I was back 
And so I still knew most of the faculty and they still knew me as a student. And suddenly I'm going to teach this group of people when I know nothing. And um, I was very intimidated by these young people. And I was greeted by some really fascinating people who are still very much a part of my life. But Millie was one of those students. And I, I as soon as I came back, I had to audition for a, a, a play that I was directing in the fall. Because as you guys know, if you watch the show, I, my master's degree is in theater. So I was teaching theater. Millie was one of my students. She came in and auditioned. And oh my gosh, Millie. You came in an audition and blew my doors off. And I was like, oh, okay, want to work with her. Uh, I can't wait to have her uh, be a part of the show. So I cast Millie. We get to the first read through and Millie comes late to the first read through. Do you recall this? Are, are you aware of this? Uh, yes, of course. I remember. You remember what you said when you came in late? Because I was like, I I'm going to have... I was like, I'm going to have to bring the hammer down. I have to show these young people that I am serious business and that this will not be allowed. Lateness is a sign that you don't want to really do this, right? So I, I was like, I think I, I did just the eyebrow at you, like, why are you late? And what did you say to me? I said, I'm sorry. I had another audition that I had to attend. But, but in our book, I did my homework and this, we had this audition book and they said, if you're ever late for an audition, just let them know you had another audition to attend. Now, this was my first audition, I think. No, and, no. That and, and I was like, she had another audition? She's going to leave this play? Like, what am I going to do without her? I was like, oh, like, honestly, I didn't know what, to, and I went, oh, okay. And we started. <laughs> But I was just, I, I mean, I was terrified and, um, you know, and then I think it was probably like four weeks later, you told me that it was just a lie, something you'd yeah. read in Michael Shirtless book, um, that you were using against me and all of my ineptitude and my insecurity. Um, and you were fantastic in that play as was, I think I invited uh, most of the cast this morning and said, please, uh, you know, if you want to see Millie and I are going to be doing this together. But I have to say that that sparked uh, a friendship that stayed in place much longer after you graduated and after I left there and did other things. And that I just, uh, you're just a touchstone in my life, Millie, that I love to come back to. And I love your husband and your son. Uh, you have an amazing family. And I'm always blown away when you perform. You bring something that, you know, that nobody else can. And I know that part of this journey was that when you were talking before about when this accident happened and you were in pain and, and not knowing who you were because you weren't who you were before and you were a performer and you were a physical performer, you got up and you embodied things and, and you moved and you danced and, um, and that was part of how you moved us. Is that part of the loss that you were feeling in that moment? Yes. Um, that, and it still proves to be a challenge for me. Um, I love to dance. That's how I would get my stress out. I would just put my headphones on and just do what I do. And, um, you know, I can't do that so much now. So I guess when you can't do what you did, you have to do it in a modified version. I try to do that. And then I always wind up, you know, hurting myself um but at the end of the day dance became almost um like a metaphor for me I remember I wrote a piece that said if I can't dance I'll die and that's how I felt at that time so now for me dance is something different dance is waking up in the morning and just being happy that I'm alive that's mm -hmm. my dance today dance is getting up and making sure that I am kind to the people that I love that um, I'm, I have kind interactions with people. It's that mindfulness piece. So for me now, dance is mindfulness. And I just have to figure out how to mesh that world together and, and you know, figure out how to get movement into my life without hurting myself. That's, that's my recent. That's beautiful. That that's absolutely beautiful. And, uh, you know, and I'm glad that you're writing I'm, and I'm glad that you're working on your memoir. Again, the name of the memoir is Through the Eyes of a Bronx Girl. Uh, shout out to all, everybody watching us on BronxNet TV. Um, yeah. I, 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 I love I love that we, ha we have that to share with you. Um, 
and we love the Bronx. We love BronxNet TV for making a home for Autism Live. Um, but I, I think it's so important for people to hear that, Millie, because, you know, I remember talking to you when you were in that phase where you had not come to this realization yet, and I was in pain for you. But you, but for those of us who love people who are in pain, we we can't we can't make people get to that realization. But maybe you could take just a minute and tell us, like, how what is the best kind of support that we can give to a loved one that's in pain to help them to get to these kinds of things? What 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 did your family do? What did your friends do that was actually helpful? Um, I think. The best thing to do is even though when it's an everyday occurrence, it's hard to acknowledge it every day. You know, sometimes people think, yo, you're in pain. Saying you're in pain is like saying the wall is white. You say it every day. And um, so it you feel like people aren't listening to you. Or or don't ever say like, oh well, you look good, because that's saying mm-hmm. like, well, you're in pain, but I don't really see it. You look fine to me. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's why sometimes people in pain are so isolated. We stay to ourselves because we feel like people aren't hearing us. So I guess my advice would be to just be present with that person, um, be gentle with them, and um, just try to keep supporting them. That's, that's you know, just I hear you. I, I, I wish I could. What can I do for you today to try to help you make your day a little better? Because you can't take the pain away. Yeah. Even though we know you want to take it away for us. We know that you're hurting for us and we know that your life is not easy because of us and so we have that guilt too so if you can just do your best to be you know refreshed and renewed when you speak to the person you love in chronic pain and just try to be there um that's that's really it's all it's all we need you're kind of taking me back. I mean, I want to t- I want to talk about my mother for just a second uh, in, in a couple of different ways. I don't know if you, any of you, and I don't know if you've seen it, Millie, but there's a new movie that's out just, I think, a week ago on Apple TV uh, that's called CODA, C-O-D-A, and C-O-D-A stands for Child of Deaf Adults um, uh, or Deaf Adult. And it's a, I think it's an incredible movie. I think, uh, I want to wholeheartedly throw my support and say to people, please watch it. Um, I, I think that for most people, there is a free seven day trial of Apple TV. And I said to somebody last night on Facebook, so here's what you should do. Clear your schedule. When you know that you've got a few days off for whatever reason, Uh, Get the free seven-day trial. Start with CODA. Watch that on the first day. And then binge watch as much Ted Lasso as you can because Ted Lasso is like the best thing on television right now. Uh, And Jeremy Aldrich knows what I'm talking about. Um, But it is. It's the best thing on television right now. And then if you have time, then you can catch The Morning Show and Schmigadoon. uh, And then you're going to want to get the whole... uh, uh, you know, uh, register for the whole thing and pay the whole subscription, but start with CODA. And in CODA, we get to see this young woman going through the experience of when everybody else in her family is deaf besides her. Here's, you know, I think one of the side stories is that they made the commitment for CODA that uh, they, they got Marley Matlin on board to pay them, play the mom. And she was trying to push them. It was based on a French film. And she was trying to push them to make sure that deaf and hearing impaired actors played all of the roles that were, you know, deaf. And they were fighting her against it and going to cast the dad as as a hearing actor. And she said, thank you. Peace out. I'm out. I'm all the way out. I'm not doing that. I have no desire to be a part of that anymore, which made them change the conversation. And they got hearing impaired actors for the other leading roles and the dad, I, I wish I could think what his, his last name is. The first name is Troy. Oh my gosh, just destroyed me. His performance was so amazing. And Amelia jo- uh, Jones. Oh yes. Uh, and I talked about physical the other day. Thank thank you, Kristen. Love physical. Um, also on Apple TV. I'm telling you it's worth it. Um, but try get the seven day first and then, and then see, but um in any case, watch CODA, but there was a moment in CODA, those of you who watched the show know that my mother 
uh, was born clubfoot with both feet backwards. So my mother was physically disabled and in chronic pain every day of my life. I'm getting an echo. Um, are you getting an echo too, Millie? No. Okay. I'm getting an echo. But in any case, uh, my mother was in chronic pain. And so every day of my childhood, I thought that this is what everybody's childhood was like. The things that we dealt with because of my mother's, she would never have called it a disability. So I can't. But because of my mother's difference, um, you know, there were things that we just seamlessly accommodated. And there were things that we did because we knew that my mother was in chronic pain. And there was a moment in CODA where they were doing something and they were, they were someplace and they were interacting with the public and they all, the family turned and looked at each other because they realized, okay, we're going to have to deal with the fact that this person doesn't know. And then they seamlessly negotiate it so that the person doesn't really know ever. And I sat there and watched that and I went, oh, I know that look, because that's exactly what my family would do. Something would happen with my mother. We would be someplace where she was going to have to go upstairs and, and we, and it was, we never even missed a beat. We knew as kids what to do to help my mother because it wasn't going to be possible. Um, and, and it was just wonderful to see that depicted on screen about something else. Um, so I'm encouraging everybody to watch Coda, but my mother also loved you, Millie, bringing this back around my mother, you said something once in the stairwell of Tyler Hall. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I said one person wear. What? No, I said, I said, I said, one one person do. One person do. It was one person wear. Oh, was it one person wear? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, why that? That uh, was asking you to be in her directing scene, and you were fatutsed because she gave you almost no notice, and uh, and she was telling you what she wanted you to do in this directing scene, and you turned to her and say <laughs> say the phrase. One Woman posts aware. As all my Bronx uh, viewers will understand, woman posts aware. And my mother stopped on the stairs and it, that she was having trouble negotiating and turned around and said, What did you say? And you said it for her again. And she's taken out her notebook and she says to you, Spell that. And you were like, Are you making fun of the way I talk? And she was like, No. No, I'm not making the fun of the way you talk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it the label for my clothing line. <laughs> and my mother had labels made that said, and I still have clothing that says in it, Wama Posa Wear. She made us in a blanket when he was born. And does it have the label on it? Wama Posa Wear, yes. Wama Posa Wear. Um, so see, you, you have woven yourself into my family in ways that, um, are unimaginable. Um, but one Maposa where I think about that whenever I think about you, uh, and my mother loved it. She thought it was the greatest thing and was so afraid that Halston or somebody was going to steal it from her when they found it out. One Maposa where, um, Millie, I just, um, I'm so excited for you. I'm excited. I hope that the next time we are talking in this format, that it's that your memoir is out and that people can purchase it. I hope so too. Do we have time for me to read something? Please. We absolutely have time. Let's read something. Ready? Yes. This is a, this piece is, is called I am from, and um, it's, it's basically about who I am. And over the last couple of years, over the last 10 years, I've done a deep dive into myself to figure myself out, but because of the pain, just to try to come to a place of peace in my life. So I wrote a piece about that piece. Trayvon, why don't we full screen her? Take me out. I am from, I am from the Boogie Down Bronx, the originator of nonstop hip hop. I am from speedy tongues and swift hands, ready to throw down. From getting into altercations, snapping back, and being rude. From Mr. Softy's ice cream truck. From the Yankees, the Mets, the Giants, the Jets. I am from jumping through open fire hydrants on hot summer days. The limber de coco man selling ices from his cart. Tree-lined parks, little streams, and tiny bridges where rapists hide to find their prey. I am from the concrete jungle and spray parks. From sliding pines and monkey bars. Metal swings and hopscotch. 
from Skelzies and Tweeted Elite, Manhunt, Red Rover, Tag. I am from Poop Stained Grass and Potholes. From Bubba to Bubba Traffic on the Bronx River Parkway. I am from I am from a past fast-paced, anxious life, barely breathing but always getting by. I am from the Bronx Zoo, the Botanical Gardens, beauty in the midst of the madness. From breaking into Snuff Mill Waterfall in the middle of the night, climbing over the wall, the only waterfall in New York City. A babbling brook, an innocent love from the gushing dam, the Rocky Garden skate where our date took the wrong turn. He hurt me. I am from statutory rape. I am from scars and PTSD, wishing to be anybody else but me. I am from, I am from, watch your back and know your surroundings. Keep your head up and your spirits high. From don't make eye contact for too long and mind your business. From the two train, the D train, the five and the one. I am from salt and pepper, Queen Latifah, MC like that old school hip hop that gets your mind right. I am from classic Chicago house music. Follow me and work it to the boom, boom, boom. From the boom, bap, 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 bass that shakes your windows. From dance hall, reggae, soca, merengue. I am from 98.7 Kids FM. And BLS, The Quiet Storm. From DJ Chuck Chilla and Red Alert Goes Berserk, yeah! I am from D-Nice and KRS-One. From mixtapes and dance battles. From the South Street Seaport and Webster Hall. I am from door knockers and two-tone jeans, fat lace Adidas and jelly jackets. From the running man and the butterfly, dancing in the rain until I am soaking wet. From tiny, tasty, chewy melalators, melting on your tongue with flavors that burst. I am from a tiny Catholic high school. From home runs, and crouching at home plate while throwing down a second base on my knees. I am from 570 on my SATs and making the all-county first team in 1990. I am from the Puerto Rican migration. My grandparents, Miguel and Maria, Arroca, Abitrella, Blatanos, and Panadias, Benil on Castle Hill. I am from the mixed marriage of Mike and Mary, a young love story ending in divorce. From go up to the corner store, get two packs of Marble 100s, two two-liter Pepsis, and a grapefruit juice, and don't stop to play those video games. From mom yelling out the window, get in the house right now. From sleepovers in the magenta posse, from 634 magenta. From double dutch, one boppity bop and skate key. From Jackson Monopoly, from hot peas and cold butter. From strength and leadership, survival of the fittest and forgiveness. I am from the SUNY Oswego Theater Department of Self-Expression. From 1908, the pink and green sorority, 492 L5B. I am from the Educational Opportunity Program, EOP. From a heart-wrenching emancipation, free to live independently at 18. From just me, myself, and I, way before I was ready. From OE and Mad Dog 2020, I am from community service, urban books, and slam poetry. From a master's degree for libraries and online databases, I am from book clubs and book talks, from open mics and Monroe slams. I am from chronic pain and disability, from suicidal tendencies and life-shattering misery, from spinal fusion and a partial hysterectomy, a tonsillectomy, an ectopic pregnancy, an appendectomy, and a laminectomy. I am from 19 surgeries and opioids, ketamine treatments, and physical therapy. I am from CBT, DBT, nine years of talk therapy. I am from deep-rooted trauma, from Catholic guilt and night terrors, from random shots fired on my house with a bullet, Went through the couch, missing my son's head by inches. From anxiety and depression, from mindfulness and meditation, just taking it one day at a time. I am from Weight Watchers and Tuna Fish Diets. I am from the Portmanteau Wilmoot Trips. The three of us, William, Moosey, and Tristan, living in bliss. From getting married on TV to celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. I am from the deepest love I'll ever know. From ritual horror, started with nothing but building an empire. From in sickness and health, loving me unconditionally, loving me back to life. I am from comebacks and starting fresh. From thank you, God, and embrace your past. I am from never giving up, never let go. I am from appreciating many hues in the sunrise and sunset. I am from overcoming obstacles and living with the pain. I am going to place where I forgive past pains and live without fear. I'm going to put my best foot forward living mindfully. I'm going to breathe when I'm scared, breathe when I feel disconnected. I'm going to find pleasure in the tiny pleasures, the tiny breaths, and the tiny steps. I'm going to take my time to find my grind at my pace, in my sacred writing space. I'm going to tell the world about my struggles through the eyes of a Bronx girl. I'm going to live my dream, broaden my horizons. I'm going to exercise and remind myself daily that movement is good, even if it hurts. I'm going to wait patiently for grandchildren. I'm going to take unexpected weekend getaways with my soulmate. I'm going to publish my work 
and speak my dreams into fruition. I am gonna, I am gonna live like I never lived before, fearless, fit, and fly. I'm gonna be 73 when we celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. I'm gonna weather storms, whether the weather brings pleasure or pain. I'm gonna recognize the strength behind my name, whether you call me Moosey, Millie, or Miss QD. I'm gonna unapologetically be me. Amen. Oh my goodness. I, we are totally out of time, but there's nothing left to say. You left it all there. So proud of you. I'm so proud to know you. I'm going to go cry. You. you have a responsibility to say all those things and get that out to the world. And please let me help in any way that I can. I just, you know, this, I adore you. And, and Kristen just wrote in and said, wow, wrote, wrote in and said, wow, I agree with Kristen. Uh, you're remarkable. You've always been remarkable. Your story just makes you that much more remarkable. I am sending, yes, I'm crying too, Kristen. Sending you big hugs and we will talk soon, okay? Okay, love you. Love you too. Thank you so much. You guys, we're back tomorrow with the best of Temple Brandon. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Thanks for sharing the show. Bye-bye for now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.